You're listening to The Melting Podcast, a writing variety show featuring a little of everything from everyone, everywhere. Aaron, huh? are you ready for a Balticon bonus episode? Always. Heck yeah. Woo. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Righteous. Righteous. Okay, calm down a little. Okay. That's just a little too much. Are you calm? Yes. Okay. No! Uh, anyway, this is the Melting Podcast. I'm AF. That's Aaron. Hi! She's a little bonkers. A little? Today. I've been friends with you since I was 12. Do- I'm a mess. Yeah, what's your excuse? I have none. Uh-huh. But you know what I have? Fun. A panel <gasps> from Balticon 50. So here we go. Enjoy. We haven't started. We're just being obnoxious. Yes. They're one, being obnoxious. One minute, one I'll please. still be obnoxious once they start. The okay. <laughs> I have a bag for Kim Stanley Robinson. Oh. Um, Kim Stanley Robinson is not in this panel. Pride of Baltimore 1, maybe? This is Pride of Baltimore 2. Okay. Because I was like, I don't see. Bag for Kim Stanley Robinson. <laughs> Where's the other I have no clue, but I think it's on the other side of here. I think it's behind us. I have no clue, but I'm going to guess anyway. And sound very plausible. Yeah, now she's going to show up and be totally lost. Crapping. Yes. I'm going to start with me this morning. I can't run faster scared than you can angry. Yes, but I can turn you into a I can turn you into another toe tag. Very it is nine thirty. We're going to go okay. ahead and start this panel. Yay. Good morning. Welcome to Monday morning at Balticon. Uh, I am Dave Robinson, your moderator, and you are here for I hope it takes a village, which to summarize is basically the fact that indie publishing is not publishing alone. Uh, there is a network, a connection, a, a group of individuals, resources, and skills that need to be represented in any book publishing endeavor. And our panel is here to discuss for the next 25 minutes, <laughs> speak quickly, uh, all of the things that must be embraced by this village of publication. Allow me to introduce your panel to you. Ladies and gentlemen, Veronica Giguere began her career as a voiceover artist 10 years ago with The Secret World Chronicle, published by Bain Brooks. Uh, well, if you'd like me to try a reading, I'd love the chance, was the fateful phrase that launched a decade of narrating audiobooks and audio fiction for award-winning podcasts, audio dramas, and authors, several of whom are in this room and on this panel. Uh, she's also the co-author of the Secret World Chronicles novel series. She's also written Fear of Thought, The Keepers, Secret War, Retrieval, and Broken, co-authored with, co-authored with Cedric Johnson. When not melting chocolate with her dulcet vocal mojo, she's also the associate director of academic support services for the Florida Institute of Technology. Ladies and gentlemen, Veronica Jukier. Yay! At the other end of the spectrum... Walt Boys is a writer, editor, industry analyst, and futurist, and pretty much anything else you can think of. After reading a John Bruner sci-fi novel in junior high, he decided he wanted to be a polymath. Sadly, his brain failed him in that endeavor. So, again, taking a cue from Bruner, he declared that he would become an encyclopedic, encyclopedic synthesist, considering that he is now the editor of... Here we go. 
the Industrial Automation Insider Magazine, the editor of the Grantville Gazette, a member of the 1632 Universe Editorial Board, formerly editor of Control Magazine and associate editor of Jim Bain's Universe, an active member of CIPLA, and co-editor of Eric Flint's Ring of Fire Press, uh, with Joy Ward, I'm guessing he has fulfilled his goal. Walt Boys, ladies and gentlemen. Scott Pond is the owner and proprietor of both Scott E. Pond Designs, a freelance graphic design institu institution, like that, uh, and Darker Reality Studios, a small indie press. He is the very quintessence of the creative explorer who actively works his creative mojo in drawing, writing, photography, and writing, uh, custom action figure design, graphic design, and desktop publishing. His designs have adorned and enriched the covers of numerous books for authors like Scott Sigler, Paul Cooley, Matt Wallace, Jake Bible, Sue Bayman, and more. He released his, book, his first book, Mental Graffiti, which he describes as a collection of his wit, wisdom, and observation, but in point of fact was an exercise prescribed by the State Mental Health and Aberrant Psychology Board. <laughs> How he released it into the world last January is a mystery to the psychiatric administrators, and the fact that he plans to release more this year has them all deeply worried. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Scott Hahn. If you are looking for a friendly native guide to the darkest corners and shadowed back alleys of horror, you would do well to hire award-winning author and podcaster Paul Cooley. From his hometown in Houston, Texas, he broadcasts tales, both in text and audio, that have in turn showed us the demons inhabiting our ancient history, the ravenous darkness from the ocean depths, and utterly destroyed our childhood memories with the phrase, Manamana. <laughs> He has produced hundreds of hours of audio fiction. His novella Tattoo was a Parsec Award finalist. His 2015 release, The Black, was a Parsec Award winner for Best Novel. He's also collaborated with New York Times bestselling author Scott Singler on the series The Crypt and co-wrote the novel The Writer, which we are assured will someday see the light of day. He's also a co-host of the fabulous Dead Robot Society podcast, and has contributed essays and nonfiction to numerous online journals, including Vex Mosaic. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Cooper. <laughs> and last, instigator, facilitator, visionary, and poet, whose marketing chops, editorial skills, and general joy of the genre have brought her into contact with numerous, numerous creators, writers, and artists. We are honored to have sitting and crashing the panel today, uh, <laughs> Sue Bayman, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that's our 25 minutes. Yeah, Here pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we all know that you need an editor. There this you is know. a given. If, if there's anyone here who thinks that their work can go out without an editor, let's dispel that right now. Um, after several conversations this weekend, we have discovered that a cover is a very important thing. Uh, a good cover, I'm sorry, let me rephrase, a good cover, or rather, not a bad cover. Not clip art. <laughs> not clip art. Um, these, these two elements are a given. Um, and honestly, I would rather not dwell too long on that just because they are a given. But what I want to do in the time allotted to us is work down the line, starting with Walt, and we'll just work our way down. 
to articulate and describe the community that you have experienced in the creation of your fiction or the support of other people's fiction to help define what populates that network of creatives and skills and abilities to make a successful publication. Well, well, what we found out when we started um, Ring of Fire Press is that you not only need an editor, but your authors may need a development editor uh, as well as a copy editor. What's a development editor? A development editor is going to work with you to make your to make your book better. A uh, development editor comes along and says, um, this scene might go here. Are you sure this scene belongs in the book? Um, <laughs> you know, little 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 changes like that. Um, they usually use um, a samurai sword uh, to make the changes in your book, and they hand you back this pile of shreds of, shreds of your manuscript, <coughs> which you throw up in the air and play with play yarrow sticks with. You pick them up and, and put the. Anyway, you need one of those, and you also need a proofreader. Copy editors can sometimes be double as proofreaders. Sometimes you need a copy editor who looks at the big stuff and a proofreader who goes word by word. What's the difference between a copy editor and a proofreader? Copy editor makes sure that the chapter headings are correct, that the, that you haven't changed a name in... Continuity. In, 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 yeah, the continuity director. Um, sometimes a very good copy editor... Uh, will also do uh, proofreading. Um, if you can get one that does both for the same amount of money, do it. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, you also need somebody who, uh, because in addition to just doing your publishing your book, you also need marketing support. You need a website. Uh, you need a blog. Uh, you need a Facebook page. Um, you may need a Tumblr page. You used to need a Goodreads page, but I'm not sure that you still do. Um, uh, you need an Amazon page. Uh, and, and if you are spending time doing all those things, you are not writing. spending time writing. Because what everybody who goes indie loses track of at the very beginning is that you have to write. All this other stuff is nice isn't going to do a damn thing if you don't have product. Content is good. You got it. Paul? Oh, boy, where do you start? Uh, Basically, everything he just said. (laughs) Pick Um, (laughs) Pick the most important one for you. um, I would say basically finding people you you can work with. Um, uh, Scott and Sue are part of the shadowpublications.com experience, whatever the hell that means. You have to forgive me. I haven't had enough coffee. But, uh, you know, both of them helped me in trying to figure out how we're going to market the book. Uh, Sue edits. Sue finds the any of the continuity errors. She does all those things for me as maybe a better writer by kind of focusing on the minutiae and helping me figure out which parts to cut, although there are parts that I keep in regardless and parts I cut regardless. Um, and basically try and find a partnership. You have to find an editor you can work with. You have to find a cover designer who understands your genre and what you're trying to do. Uh, Those things really, really help you figure out exactly how to present your work, how to become a better artist, how to become a better... uh, 
manager of your business. This is a business. And uh, that raises a good point that the, the word partnership, I think, is very yeah, important. Word partnership, and, and, you are, and you are this not is submitting your work to someone else and then have to do what they do. You are looking for someone who gets your vibe, gets your aesthetic, gets the story you're trying to tell, and is actively working with you, not bludging you or punishing you to make the story better. Oh, I don't know. There's a lot of whip cracking going on. Not that that does not happen, but ultimately in our hearts we know. Cool. Basically what it comes down to is, uh, you know, these two folks are very interested in my work, very interested in my writing, and that, and, and they have excitement for it. And they can't wait to get the next page that I put down. If awesome. you find those folks... They will kick you in the ass when you need it, and they will basically pick you up off the floor when you need that, too. And uh, to be a successful writer, I think you have to have those partnerships. Uh, my partner in crime on DRS is his wife, and uh, they, they do a very, very good job, have a very good partnership. And for those of us who don't, aren't, don't have that luxury, you have to basically go out there and make those connections and don't be afraid to ask and don't be afraid to approach and don't be afraid to use all the online resources you possibly can to find the people that can help you. Sue, can you speak to where some of those resources might be found or how you can build that community? And if not, sorry, I'm putting you on the spot. No, you're fine. Then by all means, wax into what your, what your estimation of the um, most important community member is for a writer. The people that I use as a support, besides these two, because they are my biggest supporters, um, I actually, forward into the mic. <laughs> um, besides these two, I actually found uh, Twitter. I mean, I, we all tend to use Facebook, I think, more than that, but I still love Twitter for the connections you can make um, based on uh, interests. You can search, I think, a little easier there than you can with Facebook. But I found people who uh, started reading my work, liked it, but I became friends with them, and they are supportive enough to be able to tell me when something sucks. But yet I suffer from imposter syndrome very often. And they're also able to tell me, no, this is good. Um, so I use beta readers for my work. Uh, and then production professionals like Mr. Pond, uh, who do covers and things that I have a degree in art, which probably makes it worse. <laughs> because I know what I want in aesthetically usually, but I can't, I don't have the, the skills to do it. So I found someone like him who can not just translate what I want, but actually make it better than what I was thinking. I want to affirm something. I'm, I'm latently psychic, and I heard at least three thoughts out there. It's like, ooh, social media, I'm an introvert. I can't do that. Sue, you're an introvert, aren't you? Very much an introvert, yeah. um, which is why social media has been a huge thing for me, because prior to getting to know people on social media and becoming comfortable with them, I would never have come somewhere like here. And it was only at the urging of friends who had already been here for a long time, Nobilis Reed in particular, um, that I could go somewhere like this knowing I had a friend there. And I had people who knew who I was with my thoughts, but also how I am in interacting with people. And it gave me that, that security blanket. Sure. So That's incredible uh, um, truth for most writers because unless we're all liquored up, uh, <laughs> uh, most writers are introverts. I'm Even sure. when we're liquored up. Uh, well, yeah, but it covers it up pretty good. <laughs> uh, and um, it's it's really hard to open up. You mentioned imposter syndrome. Um, 
Uh, my wife and I interviewed Harry Turtledove yesterday for uh, Galaxy's Edge magazine, and you wouldn't think that Harry suffers from imposter syndrome, but he does. He always I thinks, think most creatives do. I, I do, too. Sure. Frankly. I don't think it ever so goes away. In the context of developing that network, then, in a, in, a, in, a, in a format that is comforting and safe and supportive for you, the first step is to research. Find people, follow people on Twitter, look at their feeds, look at their content, see the people that are aligned to your style, your vibe, your story, and then initiate engage. Well, and with Twitter, the nice thing about Twitter compared to Facebook is Facebook, you have to send a friend request. Right. Twitter and they've got to say yes. You just follow them. They don't necessarily have to be talking specifically to you. And you, you can search you. anything that's public. You can search anything. When you find people that you, when you read their, their thoughts, that's what they're putting out there and you go, oh, yeah, that's why, that's how I feel. Mm-hmm. You look at who they follow. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you kind of worm your way down the rabbit hole of following different people and you have the ability to, unless their account's locked, see their profile, See what what they've put out there. Their web page, if they put their web page, if they have a link, yeah. um, and you can very easily find communities and build your network and build your network and find people that you're you know sympathetic with and you have a. I'm the editor and I can't find the word. Um, it's early. It is cafe. very early. And if you, if you are on Facebook, you can do things like join the listeners of the Robot Society, which is Terry and I busted our asses to make it a very supportive, safe environment for writers of all skill levels to come in and talk and our podcast covers all these issues as well. And there are a lot of groups that are open that you don't need to be admitted into that you can say join and then lurk and watch. Seriously. Working is good. Yeah. Even in the the, the Rotano Rimos where you have to be invited. We have like 300 lurkers and 10 active people. But those 300 (laughs) lurkers are consuming and enjoying and getting the networking of of the dialogue that's happening. It's Mm -hmm. perfectly good. Scott, what about you? What's what's your perspective on the whole community experience? So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of leapfrog off from what Sue said previously. I agree that editors and cover designers and proofreaders and and all the professional side of the house is very important. But also, we can't overlook the alpha and beta readers. Mm-hmm. Those yeah. those two groups are inherently important to ensuring that your work is both solid from a technical standpoint and from from the um, standpoint of things that you really don't know as an author. Which is probably one of the most terrifying things for a new author. How do I find a beta reader? Absolutely. How do we do that? It's not your mother. No. It's not your mother. It's not your mother says, my writing's awesome, dude. No, but How do you you find a a beta reader or a collection of beta readers? Let me me spin that a little bit, too. Does does everyone know the difference between alpha and beta readers? Some people don't. Go ahead. So, so, so alpha readers typically are a combination of both your technical experts and the people that can basically give you your first pass, uh, almost content editing for yes. your book to say, yeah, this works or this doesn't work. Story mechanics. Exactly. And, and it's also your technical experts, your, your, your military experts, your political experts, your medical experts. Your scientific experts. Your scientific experts who are going through and reading your work to say, yeah, this, this virus really wouldn't work even close to this way. Why don't you try to do it this way instead? So your alpha readers need to be more story savvy, more technical savvy. They're a higher level of expertise. Absolutely. Okay. Whereas on the beta side, beta side are, are your... Are typically your Uber fans is typically where you're going to find those people. These are the people. But I don't have fans. Well, you have to build them. You have I to don't build do them. that. 
So, so multiple ways you can build them. Start a podcast. Start, <laughs> start a podcast. Um, come to conventions. Start shopping your work around. Even if, even if it's just printed off <laughs> copies of your work that hasn't been bound. Start finding people within the communities of the panels that you go to and start finding people who would actually be interested in reading your work. Look for writers groups in your, lo- in your local area. Yeah. I mean, and probably even, accept the fact that your first round of beta readers... Three out of five of them are not going to be the beta readers you'll ever get back to. I, I would actually say four out of five won't be. Sure. But that's, but that's fine. That, uh, that's fine. You're going to find a pool of people initially that are going to tell you they're interested in your work initially. They're going to be exuberant to sign up to want to read your work. And then three weeks later when they're supposed to provide input, half of them won't provide input. Because they're not comfortable telling you the bald truth. And the bald truth is it. there's going to be problems with your work. And they don't want to be the one to break your heart to say, these four chapters, they really suck. You need to rework them. We could do a whole panel oh, just no on the relationship between beta readers and authors. So, yeah, we could. So, so your alpha readers are typically easier to find because they are going to start out as your technical and scientific experts, your political experts, all the other experts that you have to pull in. The betas, you're going to have to build over time through your networking, through growing your network, through even identifying fellow authors who might have a little bit of free time because they've actually been told to stop hopping on Facebook or something else to give you feedback as well. They may not be people who will read your entire work, but they may be people who can sample your work and give you some valuable input at least initially until you can get your network built. Excellent. Veronica? Yes. Your aspect of community. What, what, what other community elements does an author need to round out that village that they need to compile to get their work out there. Okay, so my my niche is narration. So my bit is you need to look beyond your book. You need to look beyond just the kind of word. We are busy people, and if you want to get your work out to as many people as possible, you need to think of not just what you're telling, but how you're telling it. And yes, most people can speak into a microphone. It takes time to tell a story, and while you may write the words very well, you may not tell your story as well as someone else. So, and again, it takes time. It takes time to put together audio, to put together a podcast. And if you want to spend your time writing, you need to find people who are going to help you tell that story. Um, some people, if you want to adapt it for audio, you need narrators, you need beta listeners. You may need to find someone to help edit the audio. You could start doing it yourself, and they are valuable skills to learn. But... But do you want that learning curve? And shouldn't you be writing? Yeah, shouldn't you be writing? (laughs) Um, If you want to go the comic route, and you realize that your story could be great as a black and white comic, writing for comics is completely different than writing prose. So you may need to find another author who specifically writes comics to collaborate and to bring that idea to the page. And then you don't just need someone who can draw the page, you're going to need someone who can give you concept art, who can actually draw the comic, someone who can letter the comic. Are you going to be doing black and white and doing color? You're going to need an anchor, you're going to need a colorist. And then when you're looking at those different ways to get your story out, you need to find people in that community. Now, luckily, Balticon and a few other conventions, you have people who 
are into what we call new media. You can't swing a dead cat without hitting <laughs> We don't swing dead cats here. They need to be alive. They have to be alive. Uh, you just have to gently cuddle them as uh, you turn. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Terry. My apologies. But, but you can find a lot of people who don't just write. And finding those people is like, oh, so how do you get your story out? We can't help but find new friends. Mm-hmm. Who do you know? Oh, over at the bar here. Oh, over yeah. down here. Oh, in the coffee lot. What do you write? Oh, that person's interested in this. See if they'll absolutely give you a few minutes. Absolutely. And and I, I hope everyone has found that everyone here and everyone here, if you actually walk up to them and say, hi, I'm so-and-so and I really like what you do, we glow. <laughs> really? You like us? <laughs> and you were launched into a half-hour conversation that spills out into the bar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so seriously, cons, especially like this, are a wonderful way to build and foster that network. One thing that I'm observing as we make our way through this community is that this community, this village that we're compiling, is also a continuum of development. That when we start considering the stories, there's the writing of the story. Then you get the editors, the copy editors, the proofreaders the beta readers for the next stage. Once you've reached that, it's slightly polished, I'm ready to go. So now you've got this network, then you've got cover art, then looking beyond the conventional media, because we are a transmedia culture now, and looking beyond that and finding other ways. The development continuum of a story is much longer than just writing the story. Uh, And even after you write the end, it's done and it's got a cover, it continues to develop, it continues to grow. And that development, you have to get to that point because more development, more development means more revenue streams, which mm-hmm. means money to write the next book and keep right. going. It also exactly. means more exposure. I mean, I make I make uh, as much off Audible as I do out of royalties for for uh, from Sever Press. Absolutely, and that's because I've spent years working it out, doing it, working with people like Veronica and the podcast community and everything else, and learning all those lessons. And it's very important. There's that. I mean the you just need to think more beyond the page. First step, write the damn story before all this other crap even matters. Yes. The bottom line is, once you get serious about it and you're dedicated to it, there are all these other things you can do to expand your work, expand your network, and become better just by by reading other people's work, by talking with other creators, participating, participating in the community, in the community period. And there are so many communities out there that are more than happy for you to join. We have almost no time left, but I'm sure there's at least one or two questions. Yes. One comment. You're talking about social media. One thing that I did not hear mentioned, if you don't have a mailing list to mention in your book, you must have it because that is key to growing your readership. How do I I do a mailing list? There's a place called MailChimp. MailChimp. MailChimp.com. Very good. Ding, ding. You put something underneath your your list of works saying, hey, if you want to hear about my new releases, go to my website here, sign up, and that's what you'll get. Does MailChimp cost anything? Only if you have more than 2,000 subscribers. Excellent. MailChimp, everyone. Go And if you have more than 2,000 subscribers, you're doing something right. Exactly. And you can can afford the pigeons that they will charge you to mail out. Yes. Just do not spam them. Okay, that's what you're pointing at me. I see a lot of authors with great book cover, the content is good, but their product description, their book blurb sucks. (laughs) How do you guys 
go about. I let somebody else write it for me because I'm horrible at <laughs> it. Boggles my mind. Really, you're the author for crying out loud. It. it I think authors. Uh, there's two things authors are horrible at: writing their biographies and writing the back the back cover material. I'm deadly serious. It. It. it, it it, it could be absolutely ridiculously difficult and definitely have somebody else bird dog it. And they may just basically say, yeah, that sucks. <laughs> I, I write a blurb, put it out in a group of writers, and then Sue tells me how terrible it is and what I need to change, and then it becomes better. He puts it out and says, how's this for the back of cover blurb? And we all fix it for it. That's how it works. That's, you are the you success. Absolutely. 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 Oh, yeah, I've stand Terry in the back a few times. <laughs> Other questions? Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, networking and going about getting your, your artwork and your editing and all that stuff, you know, there's a networking aspect, but there's also the cost aspect. Do you guys do like Kickstarter or Well that, that's that's a completely different animal, but there's yeah. there's there's editors that will there's editors, there's narrators, there's cover artists, all sorts of people that you can make deals with on front end, back end. There 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 are things that you can do. Um, I know some editors will basically you can send them a sample of your work and they'll rip it up for free and send it back. Now that's kind of important because you need to know if you can work with that editor and the editor needs to know if they can work with you. And it's not a slam on either side. It just means that, Hey, this isn't going to work. And everybody, and the same thing goes with cover designers. Same thing goes with narrators. You have to find people that you can work with. And yes, cost makes that. Some will, will, will do payment plans for you. Um, there's all sorts of ways you can do that, but. Uh, you just kind of have to look out there for who's offering what and what's going to work for you. And it's not necessarily the easiest task in the world. And yet it is because there are so many, like I said, there are so many of these communities out there where you can find people like Sue Bayman or Jennifer Melzer uh, to do these things. You can find a Scott Pond, although if you, you give him too much work, I'll slap you because you won't be able to do mine. So the uh, uh, basically those those things are out there. And yes, cost is a question mark. All right, we are out of time. Uh, we could always have gone on for at least another half hour talking oh, yeah. about this. At least an hour. Uh, you see your panel. You know your panel. They'll be loitering and wondering about it. If you've got questions, ask them. Thank you for listening to The Melting Podcast. You can check out our website with submission guidelines and current prompts at themeltingpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Melting Podcast. Or you could email us. The Melting Podcast at gmail.com. The Melting Podcast is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you're free to copy it and share it as long as you don't change it, don't sell it, and always link back to the website. Sound effects are by the Free Sound Project. And our theme is by Drew Rich Creek.